Hey everybody, this is Lizelle Van Vieren, founder and chief rebel of Women Who Startup and Women Who Startup Foundation. Welcome to Women Who Startup Radio. Listen, you know this, we're a learning community for entrepreneurs. We talk to founders, innovators, and leaders. On this podcast, we're bringing you into the heart of our Basecamp gatherings. Shake hands, meet and greet, and then we always put a woman in the spotlight to tell us her story. Our intimate conversations with guests. My anger inspires me. I mean, I'm pissed off where we are from a gender equality perspective. And our ever-growing women who start up community. As women, you just don't have the time because that's time that takes away from you building and growing your company and your organization. You'll get to know how she's building, what she's building, and why. So tune in every single month. We'll be wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, a quick message from one of our sponsors. Shout out to our sponsor, Infinite Red. Infinite Red has been designing, shipping, and building web and mobile apps for 10 years. They're experts in React Native and passionate advocates for remote work. They host North America's only React Native conference, Chain React, attended by hundreds of developers from all over the world. If you start a project after hearing about them on this podcast, they'll give you two free tickets to that awesome conference. Just mention Women Who Startup Radio to the team at Infinite Red, and you can learn more about them at infinite.red. Again, learn more about Infinite Red at infinite.red. Hey, everybody, this is Lizelle Van Vieren. Welcome to another episode of Women Who Startup Radio. Hey, we're going to dive into this episode. This episode, I speak to my guest, Kathy Keating. She's the co-founder and chief technology officer at Apostrophe Health. It's a health tech startup based in Denver, Colorado. She's an extraordinary woman, an extraordinary chief uh, technology officer. We missed a little bit of the beginning of this conversation. We dive in and she's already talking about artificial intelligence. So stick with us, dive in, and then we explore her story, her startup, and everything in between. Keep listening. I worked with really closely with one of the premier researchers in artificial intelligence. Oh. Um, so I got a great opportunity all throughout my college to really learn all about this thing called AI that no one actually knew well, uh, I mean, was even happening. People barely know what the hell it is as okay. we speak. Correct. And, and the evolution of it, right? Like Correct. what it was. Um, several years ago is certainly not what it, would, what it is even today, let alone what it will be tomorrow, because the speed of it is frightening, isn't it? It is. We can talk about that a little bit. Okay, so University of Arizona. Yep. CS degree. You know, computer engineering degree. Computer engineering degree. It was the first year that computer engineering was really ever offered in the United States. Um, we were still doing technology on cards. Wow. Um, so, you know, is anyone a technologist in here? <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> we used to program on cards that you would print out and run through a machine. And, and so we'd come, yeah, you'd make little um, yeah, like holes dots. in the yep. cards. Um, and, and if you dropped them, you were totally messed up. You got to do it all over again? Yeah, do it all over again. Oh, for God's uh, sake. So really early on, but wow. um, it's pretty cool. But that's cool. Like when I learned HTML, I, I learned hard-coded. Yep. So like later in life, when everyone's just copying and pasting stuff, I was like, I learned that shit from scratch. I know the hard way. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, that is amazing, Kathy. I did not know you gave up MIT because you're like, girl, no. I'm not going to MIT. It's cold, Boston. I mean, where is Boston? Um, let's just be real. And from Arizona, I think maybe your heart would have stopped. Mm, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so but um, you get this. Uh, computer engineering degree. Yeah. You learn to code in the most hardcore, badass way. It's early on in technology. What do you do out of college? Where do you go? Yeah. So the I have evolved from rapid fire, by the way. Uh, maybe, I maybe I should. Maybe I should have kept great. going. But no, now it's like, great. I'm in. <laughs> We're in. We're uh, in. Yeah. So my degree was about half electrical engineering and half computer science. So that was pretty pretty interesting. And I really gravitated to the computer science side. Okay. But I really loved the AI, uh, artificial intelligence stuff I learned. So I actually went to a company called Digital. Mm. Digital Equipment Corporation, mm. uh, don't exist anymore, mm. uh, in Colorado Springs. And I actually worked in Colorado Springs for about a year and a half, and then I transferred to Boston. <gasps> <laughs> and I actually, <laughs> I know I went there eventually, right? So actually I transferred to Boston I mean, because they, the were, they were doing research in artificial intelligence. And I was like, I really want to do that, and no one else is doing it except for the government. And so I wanted to get in there and I wanted to work in artificial intelligence. Whoa. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah, and I did for nine years. Um, I built artificial intelligence programs. Uh -huh. um, one of the biggest ones we built uh, was when um, mobile phones were first coming out. Mm -hmm. And they were super insecure, and people could walk by you when you were on the phone and steal the credentials out of the air and start right. charging on your phone. And they could literally charge about $10,000 a day on your phone wow. as they stole it. And so we wrote an AI program. No kidding. Um, and, and our goal was to detect and shut off fraudulent mm. calls within three seconds. Wow. Um, and and this so was a big deal. This was a really big deal. I mean, this I is mean, ahead of the curve. Way ahead of the curve. I was think I was the under the 500 people in Massachusetts to get a phone, a cell wow. phone. Wow, wow. Um, so it was back when Was you it a Motorola? Did you it have the was. brick? I, or no, are we talking no, like it flip? Was, it was right when the flip phone Who had came to, like, raise it? Like, did anybody? <laughs> okay. Flip phones. I don't know if I ever had one. I'm trying to think what my first phone. It was like a, what was that? Um, like an Ericsson? Yeah, with like a keyboard. Like Ericsson? <laughs> no, this was right when flip phones were coming out. I'm dating myself. It's good. No, flip um, phones are back. And you see that? Everybody's like, I need yeah. a flip phone. This shit is way too smart. I need a flip phone. So, I mean, like, I swear to God, people are like transitioning. They have a flip phone and they leave their smartphones like in the door. I'm like, whatever. I need one with just buttons. Yeah. Uh, no, so uh, we, sh we would shut calls off in three seconds or right. less. Okay. Um, and actually, that software served about 80% of phone calls up through about 2010 in the world. 80% of uh, cell phone calls in the world. And today, wow. HP owns that software, and it protects your credit card. No shit. So every time you make a charge, that fraud system detects your credit card. Okay, did you um, have like a patent or something? In, like, or was this before I the days? I have no idea. I was a little software engineer at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sure you, they did. So it's like one of the number top ten. Yeah. HP owns it. Top so ten. So you didn't software. cash out from that no. brilliant innovation. But I learned a it. lot. Yeah. So. Well, we got to learn somehow, sometime, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, that's a part yeah. of the journey. Yeah. So, wow. So this is this is introduction to your technology, amazing technology yeah. career, AI, cell phone security. Yeah. Wow. And what was what, what yeah. was really interesting for me in that role is I'm a super introvert. Like if you tested me for introvertness, I'm 100% introvert, <laughs> as all many technologists are. And so it was really interesting for me to work in an area where no one knew AI, no one knew the technology, no one knew cell phones. Mm -hmm. um, I was sent, I was actually sent all over the world to talk to companies who were just starting their cell phones wow. and needed fraud software. Wow. I had to talk to people in Norway, Spain, France, like these people were, didn't even speak English at the mm -hmm. time and I'd have translators and I'd have to get requirements from them. And, and that's hard. It's super hard to begin with and then they don't speak you don't speak the same language, and, and so yeah, I was, you can get lost in translation. Yeah, and I so I spent like nine years totally frightened, um, but totally <laughs> learning <laughs> in a state of panic. Shame, Kathy. So, but that's awesome. Made you a badass boss. It helped me learn how to do really hard things. Mm-hmm. And that's really the prerequisite for entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So tell me, after this corporate career, did, do you dive into a few more corporate career stints? Because I know you have some some yeah. companies in the pipeline that you started yourself, you worked on some other startups. We're going to get to apostrophe in a minute, or in a yeah, few minutes. Yeah. But uh, what was the transition out of that um, career move? Did you then go to another company and do some yeah. other badassery things? Yeah, so when I finally left there, this internet, this thing called the internet was just happening, and I wanted to be a part of it, and I knew if I stayed in that role, I wouldn't be a part of it. Mm. Um, so I jumped ship and I went to a consulting startup. Um, and in that role, uh, we our biggest client was Fidelity. Mm. And we, we converted Fidelity from mainstreams to client server, which was a huge change in technology for Fidelity. Mm. Um, but again, a startup. It was really cool to go from a massive company of over, at the time, digital was about 500,000 employees. Wow. Uh, to a super wow. small startup of about 30 people and to realize like, wow, there, there's a big difference between what happens at a startup versus what happens at a big company. And in a startup, you have to wear multiple hats and mm -hmm. you have to figure things out on your own and there aren't a lot of people to help you. And mm -hmm. I actually found I thrived on that. Yeah, so. because there is a unique difference, isn't there? Um, as an entrepreneur or at least someone 
under the first 20 team members at a startup, your knowledge has to be both extremely broad mm -hmm. and there are certain areas where you need to have depth, but the corporate enterprise just wants real trenches out of you. They yeah. want you to be really, 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 really deep on one or two things maximum. Right. I, I was, I don't know how I actually thrived in corporate, I think it's because we were such a startup type environment. We were less than like 25 people. You just had to wear 7,000 hats. Mm -hmm. So that's why that kind of worked. But the, the, the difference is, is, is drastic. Any advice or perspective, or as you're reflecting on that and probably have multiple times, if someone happens to be listening or sitting here thinking they're in the corporate enterprise, they have depth, they have real depth, but they're like, God damn, I like, I wanna get, I wanna spread my wings mm. a little bit. Like, um, do they just dive in or do they start taking some online courses or do they start shopping around for startup gigs? Um, should they feel intimidated? Like, what advice would you yeah. give towards that? Like, Yeah, so I actually recommend to all the, the young uh, women that I, I mentor that they do go work for a big company and work for a small company and to, to understand the difference and to understand how your skills you can get, like you said, get really deep into corporate, and yep. then those skills are super valuable to a startup as long as you can go outside of that box. Yeah. And, and it helps startups get a roadmap toward where that particular skill might go. Mm -hmm. um, so I do coach a lot of people to be able to go, to go both places early in your career yeah. and to understand the value of each because it is it, it has super helped me yeah. in my career long term. Yeah, and I think later on, don't let me forget, because I want to ask you the type of people that you look to hire when, mm. when you started to build apostrophe. Absolutely. You know? so, um, when we met, you were like way back in the day. You were you were like a Basecamp sponsor, or you were a Summit sponsor. Yeah, you were working on your own companies. So, when did you go, man? I think I want to do my own thing. I think I want to build from scratch mm. my own thing. I mean, you're an engineer. Yeah, a software engineer. Yeah. You understand and can build electrical engineering things. You have this. <laughs> really, do right things. Did you like? That? I've wired my own house before. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. Like I find that really, really cool. Um, uh, so, how did I get to founding my first company? Um, so, what because I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, you could, like, yeah. you should be like at, you could be like at IBM or at HP mm -hmm. or Google or whatever. I mean, you have this real incredible dynamic, you know, toolbox of knowledge because it's so many things, but you were like, Psh. Well, I think um, I, I tend to believe life leads you where you need to be led. And, and it's important to listen to where life is taking you. So um, I'm going to step back a little from your question. Um, Please do. I was in Boston. Um, Dot-com crash happened in mm. 2001. Okay. Some of you weren't even. I didn't know that, but uh, everyone lost forward. their job. It happened. It happened. Um, and, and what was interesting about that is I landed at Monster, the job board, mm. and um, I ran about a third of their engineering organization there. It was really the first time I had stepped into uh, leading multiple teams. Um, and then scaled that in, founded their product organization. And what was really cool about that is going for the first time from running engineering to running product. Mm -hmm. And just the, again, that was stretching my wings and doing something different and realizing that there is something really cool about understanding both sides of product and engineering. Right. Um, but what also happened during that time was, and I, you know the story a little, um, I got married, I moved into this house, a uh, 160 year old house, and it was full. Of, it was full of mold. Yes, 160 years old, and it was full of mold. And I got sick. Um, very sick. Very, very sick. Um, everything changed for me. Five uh, autoimmune diseases. Yep. Um, and this is how long ago, Kathy? That was 2000. Two, two thousand three. I mean, it's almost ten years ago. Eight years ago. Oh, almost twenty years. Twenty ago. years. Ago. Sorry. Yeah, long time Jesus, ago. Jesus, I can count. Can she count? <laughs> um, and so that really, like, life leads you somewhere, and sometimes it's not where you want to go. But like, 
listen to what life is saying. And literally, I couldn't live in Massachusetts anymore because I developed a severe allergy to every mold on the planet. And so I had to move. And right. so what was interesting for me about that was going from being a VP at a very large company, running like their entire product roadmap, and coming here to Colorado where it wasn't a tech hub yet, no. and getting a director job because that's what I could get, right. um, and um, reorienting my life, mm -hmm. you know, getting healthy. And, um, and dealing with all of that on your plate. We can reflect on that a bit. Yeah. Because something similar, you know, I'm walking through, like yeah. my life completely changed at the end of December last year. It has been a absolute whirlwind, um, mold toxicity, um, an autoimmune disease diagnosis. You know, every doctor in Denver told me, like, your entire body is so inflamed. I don't know how you're not actually, I don't know how you're standing here. I lost yeah. like, almost 25 pounds the week before wow. Christmas. I was almost hospitalized like three times. Like wow. it was like hectic. And I'm still, I have like four doctors on call right now. I'm working heavily on, and most people don't know that. The interesting thing is people say, fuck this, I didn't know you were going through such hell. And it's interesting yeah. because I'm just an extremely creative outputting type of person and you just fucking go. But yeah, January was super scary. Like I did not know if I was gonna yeah. Keep kicking. I actually had to cancel a base camp for the first time in no. six years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's significant what that did to your life. It's significant life, what it does to my life, and it gives you perspective. And, you know, we all deal with it differently. Right. Um, you know, whatever it is going on in our life. For me, it actually catapulted me forward from right. my career perspective, just realizing I had a lot of value to give. Yeah. I didn't need to work 80 hours a week to be able to give that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I could use my brain more. I could lead more. Right. Um, and at the same time, figure out how to take care and, and start to heal. And mm -hmm. I'm still in that process 20 years later. If anyone's been... In, with mold allergies, it's a lifetime, you know, challenge. Mm -hmm. um, it changed everything for me. And um, how did you how did you get through that mentally? A lot of people, you know, like when you get taxed with autoimmune stuff, your gut is always yeah. excruciatingly affected. And most people don't understand the relationship between the gut health and brain health. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a, it's one. This is our main brain. This is our brain brain. When this is jazzed, this is completely out of sync. Yeah. Mental wellness begins here, not here. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that. This is not healthy, this is not healthy. That is an absolute factor yeah. of life. And so what I love that you just said, which is the same transformation that I'm actually experiencing, which is, and that happened to me also about 10 years ago, similarly was kind of like tier one. Now I'm like fucking tier three. Um, but Every time so far that's happened, it's been a strangely powerful, positive, progressive thing. It's like Absolutely. deathly awful, and yet you find yourself, I don't know if this is just maybe you and I, or if it's actually common, but it has been unbelievably positive because yeah. there is nothing like your life coming to a complete and utter standstill. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't see clearly. I had such dizziness yeah. and brain fog in December that I had, like, I didn't have 20-20 vision anymore, and I have exquisite vision, like, you know. So, like, and this is not about me, but I'm just, I'm just kind of, like, touching on what you might have experienced. Right. It's significant. Well, what I learned um, was that I couldn't, and maybe this will fast forward and make sense when we start talking about apostrophe. Yes. Is um, I realized I couldn't t I couldn't trust the health community to take care of me and mm -hmm. to tell me what to do mm -hmm. at five minutes mm -hmm. at a time because that's all you really get with a doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And so I realized I had to take control and I had to become the doctor for myself and really figure out how to heal myself, find the right people that could give me the direction that I needed and educate myself. And so I think that act of educating myself for my health actually educated me for every part of my life. life. It gave me skills that I could bring to everything in my life. life. Yeah. Exactly. I and I still do that today. I totally am my own doctor. It's 
force I force myself to go to a doctor when I have to, but yeah, um, you know, you have to be that, right? You like do. you have you to have be to, in charge of your your yeah. wellness because ain't nobody gonna know you like you do. Just like we are with our careers. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And but what you're touching on, which is a life lesson, is it's tough sometimes to find the right guidance. Right. So like 10 years ago, I didn't have the right health guidance. I do now. 10 years ago, it took me three years to get over um, like a relapse that I had from taking antibiotics. It's taken me two months to have gone from like a zero to like, I'm at like almost, almost I want to say 78% yeah. improved. Yeah. That, that's pretty specific. <laughs> so not 77, much. 78. But like at this point, I can tell you who to go to see for what, yes. like who are the experts, what books to read, yes. you know, what diets, um, diets to, to eat, what foods to eat, what foods not to eat. Like, you know, and stress. of course everyone is different and I, I don't handle the stress well, but that's of course, yeah. we well, always we have something to work on. Yeah, I, th I like uh, stress. But, like yeah. I like um, pressure. Yeah. I like you know, I have like a high velocity, I'm a type A type person and entrepreneurs kind of are, yes. like we like that, we love that. So we have to create what I call, uh, you have to create an environment for healing. And I mean that like in your physical body, and which then generates in your space, in your mind for, for that healing to also take place. Right. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people are hit with stuff in their lives where they have these opportunities to actually reflect Evaluate, reevaluate, look at your life, think, fuck, I've been going down this particular north for a long time. But I don't think it's actually served me for a good decade. Yeah, I think for me it was really realizing that, like, go down a path until you realize it's not working, and then you have to do something else and do something else and do something else, and really building that rigor around not sticking or staying stuck somewhere yeah. um, too long. And, and this does translate a lot into how I how I run my business, yeah. um, but you know, I had to do that for my health. I had to try it, to try it, to try. Right, um, right. Great. Yeah. So I moved Amazing. here, yes. so I moved to Colorado where there is no mold most well, of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> and I actually worked for a startup, oh, ran engineering for a startup here for about a year and a half. Mm. Um, and then that startup changed their whole executive team and they brought in these horrible people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I literally at one point walked out the door and all 18 people on the team that I had built walked out the door within a week oh. after I did. And that's when I founded my first company. Yeah, girl. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we start shit out of necessity. Out of necessity. And I actually think this is really common amongst women. Yep, we can't take I it don't anymore. Know. Women, something motivates us yeah. to do something different. Yeah, I talk to more people who are women or uh, in the LGBTQ community or um, people of color, and it's kind of like, listen, I was faced with X, Y, and Z. I've, I had two kids, um, da 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 happened, and this was out of sheer necessity that I needed to start, put my chops out there, go, go, go. I had to put food on the table. Yeah, and the corporate world wasn't being supportive, so. Yeah, I feel like most of my biggest wins in my personal and professional life have all been out of crisis. Yeah. Um, so that, that walking out the door was actually super empowering to me but I'm the primary breadwinner in my family and mm -hmm. I needed to provide. And mm -hmm. so I ended up founding a, a company, a tech consulting company. Great. With three women, two, myself and two other women. Okay. Um, and it was 2007. Okay. And we all know what happened in 2008. Eight, hello. Um, so 2007 <laughs> and we were supporting all these great com uh, companies in the area who didn't want to have tech. Yeah. They didn't want to have a tech team and wow. so um, one of the first clients I ever got was Newton Running, a running shoe company. Yeah. Um, and they were five people in a room needing to sell a shoe and try to figure it out. And <laughs> um, what was great about that company is, is uh, my consulting company is we were able to take like a Newton Running yep. from five people to 80 people wow. to like the second shoe across the finish line at the Ironman. Whoa. And to watch that growth through a downturn, so 2008 to 2000. 13, mm -hmm. uh, they were my biggest client. Um, and to really watch them grow through a downturn and figure out how to take companies through a downturn and keep them sustainable during that downturn was really cool. Uh, 
it's it's interesting. Like some people had a really good time between 2008 and 2012. Most people didn't. Yeah. The te technology sector actually here in Colorado just for some reason it just kept on trucking. It did. I lost about. 50% of my clients, but the wow. other 50% were growing. Well, like, Phew. yeah. Yeah, that's what the, that, I was yeah. in that boat. It was crazy. One client paid me, when they went under, they paid me in product, and it showed up in an 18 wheeler. It was pretty <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and Whoa. you just adapt and you go, and, and oh, you figure yes. it out, right? It was awesome. <laughs> that's nuts. Okay, so. What was that company called? Was that the uh, company? The name of the company was Tricalix. Okay, so that was before the company that I got to know. Yeah. Uh, what was that company called? So. Or brand or entity or. So when I first came to, um, when I first came to Women Who Startup, I was just leaving a company right. that again had a bad leadership change, I, yeah. and um, they actually walked me out the door, which was awesome. Whoa. Um, and what was interesting out of that was I had built such great networks in, um, in Colorado uh -huh. that I had a new job with a higher salary and a higher uh, job title within three weeks. And wow. so I, I, that's one of the biggest things I would say to people is that like it doesn't matter what happens to you. People get walked out of the door all the time. Uh, this this particular door. one was uh, the new CTO just didn't like me and, and he said, well, well, we're going to leave anyway, we'll help you out the door. I'm like, wow. whatever. Um, and, but build that network because mm -hmm. if you build that network, you know, and people respect you and people know what you're capable of, they'll hire you. And, mm. and three weeks later, I had a job at AutoPay, which is how, which is where you and well, I, I met. Yes. Yeah. AutoPay. AutoPay. And so they were, a, they are still a bootstrap company that had um, built a company in the downturn to buy auto loans for, uh, because no one was giving anyone an auto loan in mm. 2008 through 2010. And they decided, well, we'll do it. We'll, do it. we'll give you auto loans. We'll do it. <laughs> and uh, they actually built a business by uh, giving people auto loans during the downturn. But wow. with the upturn, everyone was giving auto loans again. And so they needed a new business line. Right. And so when I met with that, was that, that team, the founders of that company, they were like, hey, we're not a tech company. But in order to do this new business we want to do here, like literally on the back of a napkin, this is the new business model. I love um, that. We need a tech Group, and we heard you're pretty good. I'm like, okay. He, they go, we have one junior software developer. Oh dear. He does some like operational software. Uh, so I joined Autopay. Okay. Um, we went from concept on the back of a napkin to launch within three months. And by month seven, I had 22 people on the team, and we were the number third lender on LendingTree. You're a beast. Um, and it was really that was it, fun? it was really that constant iteration, constant delivery, yeah. do what's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if this isn't work, doing something yep, else. Iterate, and it was iterate. awesome. And it was wow. great because they were bootstrapped, um, and so they didn't have any VCs telling them what they needed uh -huh. to do. And and it was really just these founders and and me and the rest of the company Team, yeah. figuring it out. And and it was great because after that being walked out the door, I was like. Look what I just did. Yeah. I, I can do this, and I don't care if you don't like me or whatever, but hey, what matters is I can build a business. Thank you so much to the following sponsor, Infinite Red. Infinite Red wants to help everyone get confident about remote work. So they wrote a super helpful handbook called the Remote Work Handbook. It's a super quick read, and you can grab it at remote.infinite.red. Can you build a thriving remote company without sacrificing culture? Infinite Red says, heck yes. Written by the founders of Infinite Red, the Remote Work Handbook is your guide to growing, hiring, scaling, and leading a remote team. It's a must-read for remote founders, teams, and anyone interested in the road less traveled. Again, go grab your copy at remote.infinite.red. What advice do you have for someone who did get walked out of the door and maybe have not recovered too well from that? I think for yeah. some people, it's extremely impactful in their careers. They feel like, fuck, I, I failed. Yeah. And failure for a lot of folks are a burden. I think it's important to understand what you did learn and what what's your stuff, what's your stuff to learn, and what's their stuff to learn. Mm. Um, I guess it's the whole karma stuff, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Like I can learn and I can grow and I can adapt from whatever I learned from that experience. 
you know, whether it was staying too long or not being more vocal about something, sure. which might have got me walked out faster. <laughs> um, but, you know, like looking back at that and saying, what could I have done differently that might have helped? And right. then also, what could, no matter what I did, I could not control? There you, go. Um, there you go. And karma did happen. That CEO got fired nine months later. So. Well, a girl, look yeah, at you now. Good. Look at you now. Karma. We're going to talk about it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my experience at AutoPay was great. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really passionate about auto loans. Um, <laughs> but it but was amazing yeah. to build a team from scratch and yeah. to do all the things I said I could do yes. as a VP of engineering and, and to be able to make that happen. That is really so, And that's really actually amazing. when I first came to... To women who start up. women who start up. It's yeah. sponsored. Yes. Thank you for that again. I really appreciate those couple of bucks. Brought me a long way. Brought me a long way. Um, uh, so when did you leave auto pay? Why did you leave auto pay? So I didn't ever intend at the time to leave auto pay. So <laughs> I was doing this thing with the state called Go Code Colorado. It's a, mm -hmm. They put it on every year. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's one of the ways that I wanted to get out into the community and mm -hmm. talk to people and get get out of my introvert self. <laughs> uh, so I had been doing uh, Go Code Colorado as a mentor since the beginning, right. and I think we were in year three. Yeah. And I went to this event called 10 10 10, which is also a community event. And uh, it was the first year of 10 10 10. Mm -hmm. And there was this woman that was just a badass on, on the stage. And, and it wasn't, you're not referring to me. No, uh, you, are, you were the badass. next year. I was you the, were the badass the next no, year. No, it was the same oh, year. Yeah, Cheryl. Was the same, oh, it was the first year. <laughs> there are two badasses on the stage. Um, but. I, I, I was like, this woman's pretty neat. She just moved here. Um, and then she showed up that weekend at Go Code Colorado yes. as a mentor. And we had the same shoes on. They were Newton running shoes. Remember that company I talked about? <laughs> so Destiny, pay attention That's to Destiny. That's funny. Um, so we mentored that afternoon. And we just really got along. We started mm. exchanging, um, finishing each other's sentences, thinking the same way. Um, and then... And you're referring to Cheryl Kelland. I'm talking to Cheryl Kelland, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, we just started hanging out once a month. She was new to Colorado. Yep. She had just come out of 10, 10, 10. She was playing around with a bunch of ideas of starting her second company. Yeah. And we just started hiking once a month. And I was at AutoPay, and she was hearing all these great things I was doing at AutoPay. And I was really just like, it's some other badass woman. I want to learn from her. Heck yeah. And we did that for about nine months until she right. said, hey, I have an idea. And oh, by the way, I need a CTO. And I was like, hmm, healthcare. Oh, dear. I know. I want to fix healthcare because healthcare is really broken. OK. Right? Healthcare was broken for me. Healthcare is really broken for everyone. Healthcare is broken. That's way more meaningful to me than auto loans. Yeah. And this was when? Uh, we found was it, that, Three that years was ago? probably March of 2016. We found yeah. it in June of 2016. Right. We were Airstream Health when we found it. That's right. It was Airstream Health. Okay, but okay, you got to give us because I know what 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 the evolution was like. What do we do? You you went hiking for nine <laughs> months. Cheryl has an idea. She comes to you. And yeah, exactly. And what? I need to see to you. And yeah. I'm like, hmm. and, and, and so what was this idea? What does it mean that y'all were setting out, y'all, Tam, um, uh, what were you setting out to solve in context of fixing the healthcare problem in America? What, that is such an awesomely humongous weighted statement. Like, break that baby down for us, please. Yeah, so there's three of us, all female-founded, and mm -hmm. um, only one of us, uh, Julie, uh, has been in Julia has been in healthcare. Okay. Before, um, and so we, uh, we three of us, we really felt that the problem, one of the biggest problems with healthcare is everyone that's in healthcare stays in healthcare, and so you become, this is how it's always done. And so the bureaucracy just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because everyone is working within the same ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And what if you could inject people into the healthcare problem that didn't have healthcare background but had uh, the, the experience to tackle really hard, gnarly problems, mm -hmm. um, but with 
learnings from other industries. Mm. Um, and so we took a look at the healthcare and we said there's so much bureaucracy that has no meaning in healthcare. Hmm. And what if we could change that yeah. bureaucracy? Sure. Um, and so that was the foundation. Are we, are we had an audacious goal of saving 20 to 40% off your healthcare costs. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare is the second biggest cost for any employer. Mm -hmm. um, salary is number one, healthcare is typically number two. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can save 20% off that cost, that's a really big deal. Um, and so that was our bold, audacious goal, was that we're going to change the bureaucracy, eliminate the bureaucracy, and really figure out how to streamline healthcare. So were you setting out to solve the business being able to afford healthcare for their employees, or you isn't, so you're B2B, right? Apostrophe well, is... B2B to C, yeah. Yeah. Right. So break that down a little bit. You're, so, you're working on a platform. So what we decided initially was that there's this thing called cash pay. Has anyone paid a cash pay price for anything in healthcare? You mean like out of pocket or you mean? Go pay the cash pay price if you're going to have to pay for something because it's usually about 20% less, less than the insurance cost. Mm -hmm. So it just means you pay up front. Right. Um, so if you know you're not going to get hit your deductible in the year and you need that MRI, go pay the cash pay price. It's probably anywhere from... 20 to 40% less than you would pay on your insurance. Right. Um, and so we were like, wow, could you pay everything from cash pay? Mm. So we started with a question and just said, mm -hmm. hey, could you? <laughs> could you pay everything with a cash pay? And right. so we actually thought that we would build this payment card that, you, that was right. your health care. Right. And remember that? Yeah, I do. And you would, you would take it and you would run it and you would actually pay with this health, with this card, and this card would actually be your insurance card, mm -hmm. and we would 100% of the time leverage the cash pay price. So, I think the example there to, to remember is we started with a question, mm -hmm. and then we tried it. We actually went out and we actually bought debit cards right. and gave them to people and said, <laughs> "Go pay for the cat and pay the cash pay price, and right. we'll see what happens." Um, we got really lucky that we got. Um, a health plan that um, had really bad customer service, and we just said, "Well, give us the cost that you would have paid for customer service, and we'll we'll answer the phone instead." <laughs> um, so we literally started as refrigerator magnets <laughs> that we handed out to the customers. Call us; we'll answer the question. And literally, do you want to hear the first phone call we got? Yes. Okay. Tell us. <laughs> The first, I'm not joking, the very first phone call we got was someone that said, my doctor told me I'm going to die if I'm going to move my neck. So I'm in a brace. What do I do? And, and Cheryl answered the phone and said, I, I don't really know. Well, we'll, 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 but we'll figure it out. And we actually helped Don't move your neck. Hold on. We'll get back to you. Oh, Jesus. I mean, so, that's kind of scary. But it is, it is, healthcare is really scary. But it was like, we pulled in the people that we knew, and we got her an expert, and the expert said, no, you're not going to die. No, you don't need surgery. Just get these couple injections, and you'll be fine. And the woman is, is like one of our biggest raving fans. And it was like, just that idea well, she's of... she's lived to see another day. <laughs> just that idea of like, go out and like ask a question and not be afraid to not know the answer, and just pull the resources around you yeah. to figure out how to get the answer. And, yeah. um, and that was great. That was our first that um, is actually yeah, phone call. the best story ever. <laughs> I want a video of just that. Oh my God. I don't mean to like, when, when apostrophe maybe is like done in like a hundred years, like I need to, I need to make fun of that. Oh, we have so many good it's stories. so wild. That's the wildest thing I've heard in a while. Okay. So we did that. Right. So T tell me more, because I want to understand yeah. like what apostrophe is today. Like, uh, who's the customer? Yeah. How does it work? How have you built this baby? You know, like, you know, like, do you interface with your platform, or does the business entity only interface with apostrophe? Mm -hmm. So, like, where do you touch the healthcare consumer, or do you ever touch the healthcare yeah, consumer, do. or is it all that business? that is trying to make sure that their employees, all that stuff. So. Right. 
So when we started out, we were like, oh, we're going to sit on the side or sit on top of the health plan, and we're just going to be this card, and some other, they can do the hard work, right? Yeah. And in this experimentation process where we kept answering questions, we realized we had to do the really hard thing, and mm. we had to be the health plan. Mm. Um, so... And that was in 2018, January of 2018, which was after we got out of Techstars, right. um, we became a full health plan. So we compete with Cigna, Aetna, Kaiser, Blue Cross. Wow. We compete with all of them. Um, we work with only a niche of, of the employer uh, health plan community, anyone who's um, self-insured as an employer. So it's about 80% of employers over 100 people get what's called self-insured. It's I'm not going to explain that because we'd be here for a year. Yeah, right. Um, but it's basically your employer keeps your premiums as mm -hmm. you pay them. Mm -hmm. And then as claims come in, they, they pass the money. And so we facilitate the flow of all that money mm -hmm. uh, in your health plan. We pay your claims. Mm -hmm. um, when you need to figure out where to go, you call our member care team. We answer the phone. We mm -hmm. tell you where to go. Mm -hmm. um, we do not have a network. Mm -hmm. um, Networks are really bureaucratic. Yeah. Um, the in-network versus out-of-network, all the contracting, we've, we've decided not to do that. Okay. Oh, every doctor in the United States is in our network. We'll Whoa. pay for anyone. Whoa. Um, we pay a percent off of Medicare. Right. Um, so Medicare will pay, let's say, 50% higher than what Medicare would pay for that, or 20%, depending on what the service is. Mm. Um, so that's, quote, our network, I mm. guess you could say. Hmm. Um, so everyone, every provider that takes us, will they know what they're going to get paid. You're going to pay for the same price for the same service everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, the dirty little secret is if you can negotiate, you if you can negotiate as a provider, you get a lot of money. If you can't negotiate well, you don't get a lot of money. So mm -hmm. the same MRI at two facilities, one could be $5,000, one could be 500, mm -hmm. and it's the same MRI. And you, as the employer, the member, don't know until after you've gone, right? You don't know until you get the bill right. how much you would pay for that, and right. whether you went to the $5,000 place or the $500 right. place. For us, same price everywhere. Wow. So. Wow. Um, and we do a ton different. You know, we pay members' bills on their behalf. Members only pay us. We do that to facilitate the flow of money. Yeah. So you get bills from us. They look like credit card statements. So it's like taking that bureaucracy and confusion Ouch. out of healthcare and making it something that just feels like what's normal. Yeah. You know, you know how to pay your credit card. You know what it looks like. Right. You know, it looks very similar, and you only pay us. And um, yeah, so we just facilitate the flow Amazing. of money. We run the health plan. Right. You have apostrophe as your health care. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so it's different. Amazing. And we're still experimenting. Right. We're still, you know, constantly like evolving the business model. Okay. Um, so, like, how many customers do you have on apostrophe, this apostrophe solution? Ooh, so. January 2018, we went live. We had 23 employers, right. um, all, all school districts in Colorado. By the end of the year, I'm guessing we had about 40 employers wow. on the platform. Wow. Um, and every month, we're bringing two to three employers on. And their average employee? Anywhere from, like let's say, 100 to um, our biggest is about 1,800 members on the okay. plan. And each year, as people get to know who we are, yeah. um, they get bigger. Yeah. Employer, employers get bigger. Um, we've, we, we run a lot of um, associations where um, small employer groups can uh, group together to, to pull together to buy insurance. And mm -hmm. so we just closed a big state bar association with all the lawyers in the state. And well, school districts is really a, a big win. We're in 42 different states now. Um, I'm really curious. How did you get your very first customer? It, you, you just mentioned that you went after all of Colorado's school districts, so like all the schools. Was that strategic? Um, so it We're was, like, well, let's go make sure teachers can afford some health care? When we first started the pilot, when we founded, that was the relationship one of our founders had. Brilliant. Was with that association, and that's the school districts. They were all in our pilot, and then they came on full onto our platform. And you use what you have in your network. You use. Like you use your network. For, yeah. And, and we work paid during that pilot almost nothing during that pilot we did a lot for free 
Um, was it a you know, long, just that learning. Was it a long sales cycle for you to convince someone to like use a brand new startup healthcare plan? Like, was that tough? I mean, I imagine this was a little tough, but how tough? It gets easier as we get known. So we, well, of course. What's, what's, what's even more complex about the B2B2C part of our business mm. is that we sell through brokers. Mm, okay. So benefits brokers that they facilitate, like bringing your dental, your vision, yeah. your medical, yeah. all those benefits together. Right. They're really the person that sells. I see. Um, and we're just the medical part of that. Got so it. we had to convince the brokers oh. to sell us. And there's a large group of very innovative brokers in the United States. And so we cater to them and then they mm -hmm. sell us. And there's several of them that are selling us primarily now. Interesting. So, so there's like a, a middle person in your yeah. sales equation. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's healthcare. <laughs> it's healthcare. There is to so many layers to that onion is like blows my yeah. mind. It's so ridiculous. But if you have a great experience with your healthcare, you're going to tell everyone else that's a CEO at your True, company right? or, you know, and so it really helps us to get one person in a region and then that person tells everyone else, hey, this cool apostrophe thing. Wow, wow, wow. Um, and, and constantly just peeling that onion. Okay, so. and did you, did Apostrophe or Airstream at the time, did you start out bootstrapping or did you and Cheryl, did Cheryl go out and immediately get some seed funding right out of the gates? No, so we got that pilot, it was a paid pilot, very right. tiny amount of money, it was barely enough to get us an office, a 10 by 10 office. But it was revenue. It was revenue, um, barely covered the rent yeah. um, and our ability to print refrigerator magnets. <laughs> and so we actually operated that way for from June of 2018 yeah. to January of 2000, um, June of 2016 to January of 2017. Um, oh. And then January 2017, we got accepted into Techstars Boulder. That's right. Um, and that's great because it came with some money. Mm -hmm. um, they give you just enough money, a mm -hmm. uh, little over 100 grand. Um, so yeah, Techstars is pretty nominal, right? They yeah. give you 120. Yeah, 120. They take six percent. They take six percent. That's and, standard. And we use that money to hire people yep. to help us get through Techstars. And so that staff really, you know, there was a finite amount of time that we could keep that staff on board. But I hired a couple of developers. We hired a head of provider services, mm. and they really went through Techstars with us. And, and as we got to Techstars Demo Day, we closed $1.2 million on, on Demo Day. Yeah, that's um, with Better Ventures and Techstars Ventures. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do an accelerator, the whole point is, is come demo day, you're get you're, some money. You're trying to cash in and yeah. really help propel now yeah. the next phase because for three months you were heads down, you were drinking from the firehouse. Yeah, right? and still in that pilot, so still not making much real revenue from no. that pilot. Yeah, so. I mean, for a lot of folks yeah. in, 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 in an accelerator, you're just really likely figuring out brand positioning, product market fit, people, yep. the technology, the yep. stack, the like yep. all these things that all have to kind of work out simultaneously. What was cool with that 1.2 is we were able to keep staff on um, and start to really build the platform and st start to really start the sales process, right? Okay. And so we went through 2017, got, got some bigger offices, I think we had like a 12 by 12 office with six people in it, which is tiny, tiny, right? I <laughs> <laughs> love it though. Work in a co-working space, people can go out in the common areas. Yeah. Um, and I think we ended 2017 with maybe eight or 10 people. Uh, yeah. It was really super tiny. But that whole school district came onto our full platform wow. and that was real revenue. Yeah. And since we were already building the tech in the pilot that was going to become the platform, we really just had to plug in more pieces behind the scenes, and most of our tech is, you know, really, really behind the scenes. It's not user facing. Yeah. Um, and so we just kept plugging in what we could so that we'd be ready for that 2018 time period. You know, I've referred two employees into your team now. Tommy was the first one. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, so this kid graduates from Galvanized G School. Yeah. And his 19 dad, years old. His dad, Gary. You know, he, he's been a big supporter of women's startup. He's just a big serial entrepreneur. And I remember he emailed me and he's like, 
so these gals working on this apostrophe thing. And I'm like, uh-huh, continue. Like, uh, you know, my kid's like really interested in, you know, accelerating his, you know, talent and learning and blah, blah, blah. And I remember, I could probably go find this email. I won't share it publicly, but I'll share it with you. You should. I should, because I, I remember distinctly, I go, now you listen, Gary. If anyone, anyone, could ever have an opportunity to be exposed to some badass leaders. Mm. This is probably the opportunity that you should not um, let your son uh, miss. I was like, he's going to learn. He's going to have fun. He's going to, God knows what, like do cool things. And I was like, I trust that Cheryl, I said this, I trust that Cheryl and Kathy will be probably the best mentors anyone as a young person could probably be exposed to. Thank you. Fuck yeah, I Thank meant you. it. I meant it, it's so, true, uh, it's Tom, true. Tommy was my first front end developer. He was 19, he went from high school to Galvanize. Um, and when to a startup. To, to a startup uh, as the first developer, I guess he was the second developer, they started a week apart. Um, but he went through Techstars with us, and then That's he's awesome. still working with us today. He's got a Tesla. Yes. I he's, know. He's Him 21 now. It's crazy. I, know. I love it. I love <laughs> but it. But it, it was a great example of, I guess, my hiring philosophy is yes. like, I really look to hire the dark horse or someone who's different. Yes. Know, who in their right mind would hire your, one of your first developers as a 19-year-old directly out of a boot camp? Right? That's least, right. Seriously. And but you're doing really, wild things. Really taking that risk and doing wild things and seeing something in somebody that can become something more. Yeah, you have to see the potential in people. Absolutely. I think that is a skill that not everybody possesses. Agreed. I also believe that the corporate enterprise don't have that skill. I don't know if it starts with recruitment because they're not entrepreneurial or whatever that is. I cannot tell you how unhirable I am. And it's because they don't see the potential. <laughs> I joke because I'm a serial entrepreneur. Probably it's fucking impossible to hire me. I'll just be like, Would you hire yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I do it every day. I was like, Zill, I will fire your ass. Um, no, but like the interesting thing about entrepreneurs talking to the corporate enterprise, which owns a lot of today's innovation, right? Enterprise is really struggling. There's not a lot of entrepreneurs actually thriving. There's not a lot of entrepreneurship. Like, yeah, we talk about startups and founders and all the magazine covers are covered in this shit and it's trendy and it's this and this this. If you look at the statistics, statistically, we're in a lull. We're in a lull of entrepreneurship because all the the heavy weight is behind the corporate enterprise, right? Amazon is old and they are acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. So they're owning all of innovation. And that really stifles you and I from just having an idea and us just like peppering it out there and saying, I just need a million. Let me go fucking try this. Let me fail at this. There's not enough money going towards women to try really funky, great, big, moonshot ideas. You know this, right. I know this. Some of you may or may not know this, and it's mind-numbing, right? Like, think, it's crazy. I think one of the big things I see corporate America doing wrong about seeing potential in people yeah. is that they really, like these whole whiteboards and you know, you must do a project and, you know, whiteboard tests, especially in technology, is huge. And, and it's just like, and then if you don't pass, you're told you're wrong. Yeah, and in reality, the people that can't pass that are the ones who are actually probably the most Effective. inspirational yeah. and, and entrepreneurial and can think on the fly, but you're asking them to, to do something super rigid that they will never have to do in their job. Right, and so like like we just went through. Uh, so her second person she referred into us um, was a, a we just hired a, a technical product manager. Well, it's actually not all me. Like yes, I better right. have Michelle, who mentored her for her several first years in technology. Yeah. Um, and what we did for them was yeah. we we do something first. We're just like, teach us something. Right. And so uh, our top candidates, we learned three things: right. how to make a pie crust. <laughs> which is like was awesome and she brought pie um, the candidate we hired she taught us how to tie an Arduino board into her twitch stream so that when someone followed her on twitch LED lights would flash okay I was like yeah, that was cool. really cool that's cool and then the third one was how to travel the whole world for free 
Oh, and, and so like I learned so much and I just asked them to be themselves and yeah. and to just teach me something and right. I learned so much about their capabilities and their role mm -hmm. by, by teaching us something they were passionate about and I, yeah. I think corporate America needs to do more of like inspire people to be unique and um, be to yourself. show us what you're passionate yeah. about and, and be yourself and then it's our jobs as leaders to see the potential yes. in that act so Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's beyond important. Yes. It's beyond important. We can combine stories of why we left corporate enterprise. You just shared multiple stories. I will share them at other places and talks and stages. But that's why we leave, right? Like people do not see the potential. They're certainly not fueling your potential for excellence. And that is challenging. Not everyone's good leaders, right? So the again, the corporate enterprise and even school, traditional school, is institutionalizing us to become these robots. And none of us are robots. We're building great fucking robots. Right. And they're going to automate a lot of mundane tasks so that we can be creative, so we can continue to lead. But we really need to get on top of that, too, because that's fucking scary. <laughs> because I think, again, like in anything in technology, uh, mostly men are programming the future robots Absolutely. and AI, and that's frightening to me. Like, yeah. you know, all of us collectively really need to be a part of that. Um, Absolutely. And we need to get, um, we need to, I don't know what we need. To, we just need people to. Well, we just need to be when, when something happens to us that pushes us backwards to use that as a motivation to move forward. And so mm -hmm. I always tell people like, okay, you've been through three whiteboard <clears throat> you know, interviews. <laughs> don't ever take an interview with a company that does a whiteboard. Like, go find the ones that don't and, 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 and use that to catapult you forward because that's not where you want to work. I love that you you want to work somewhere different. I love that you're bringing this up. The reason I love that you're bringing this up, I think people forget that when you're interviewing, inter interviewing for a company, that you need to interview that company too. Right. And I think this comes with experience. I don't think your first big corporate job interview, you're all like, so tell me about your <laughs> tell me about your numbers. What was your revenue? What was your profit? Tell me about your margins. Tell me about your net loss. Tell me about, you know, like you're 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 just not that ex you're like excited. You wanna show that you're the right fit that's also right. so problematic now you're trying to be someone that you're not really because the corporate enterprise is most likely asking you to be something that you already aren't you're because, asking you to be that cookie cutter person well yeah because hiring i think is the most broken thing on planet earth like 70 percent of americans are unhappy at the, with their work 70 percent, and so we wonder why mental health is such an issue and it's on the rise and we have the worst healthcare in the freaking world. Kind of strange, isn't it? I can fix that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, but like we have some real cultural issues here. Like we need to yeah. reconfigure society. Like, you know, people should love what they do, not the fabrication of love what you do. Like you should actually be able to enjoy what you do for a living. Absolutely. Because otherwise you're just taking a job to pay the bills and that's because of the pressure of capitalism in this country of what mm -hmm. yeah she agrees somebody agrees uh, <laughs> okay so i want to be able to give us enough time so there's q a we could have gone forever well we could go forever because i would ask you like what stack you use to build your first product and what you're using now but maybe not everyone is interested in that. Like, I get really geeky and excited about shit like that, but maybe if someone wants to know that, they can ask they that. They can ask it. They can ask that, or they can ping you. You're, um, you're on the Twitterverse. I you're am. on LinkedIn. Um, you do, when you have time, you do coffees and whatever. Absolutely. Um, but I want a few more really big answers from you. Oh, about what? I know. <laughs> the meaning of life. No. Um, entrepreneurship is challenging. It is. It's one of the toughest things that we can set sail on. It's just, there's so many variables, there's a bajillion unknowns, and yet I can't imagine not doing it. Like, I, it's just natural. 
I feel like every day in my job is a complete unknown. Mm -hmm. Like I, I had never worked in healthcare before, so I have to figure it out. Um, we're 40 people now. We could easily be 60 by the end of the year. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out like security and compliance, and I've never done security. Well, I mean, yeah. I've done security and compliance, right, right. but not as the CTO. And so, yet and again, not in healthcare, and not in healthcare. And so then I have to figure that out. And yeah. so it's this constant evolution of learning and growing. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. It's that's like, right. oh, I need to learn that. Let's go figure it out. As opposed to like, oh, I don't know that someone's going to figure out that I don't know something. It's like, mm. no, everyone knows I don't know anything. Which leads me to my question, which is, do you believe that one of the top traits a true entrepreneur beholds is curiosity? Absolutely. Right. You know? right. And, and also this trait of being willing to step into fear. Right. Um, to be curi to to have that curiosity be more important to you to understand something rather than the fear you have that you might fail. Yeah. Because there there is a lot of fear in the dance of starting a company. Absolutely. I mean, it can be petrifying at times when you're running out of money, you don't know how you're going to make payroll. Like mm -hmm. all these things are so fucking real. Um, <laughs> you're physical body feels shattered, you know, like your mental capacity is like, oh, my brain is hurting. But yet, you're doing it, you're gonna continue to do it until you figure out either it's working or it's not, and there's just no option not to give that a shot. My, my question to the question to the question, I'm trying to get to more questions here, is a lot of people come to Women's Share and they have ideas, mm -hmm. right? And, and they want to explore those ideas, but they are afraid. And some people should do something with those ideas, and some people shouldn't. Some people should find people that staff their weaknesses and go and attempt to do something with that idea and dig into it and whatever. If you had to give advice to someone with an idea today and they don't really know they don't know what it might take to take the first step, to take the first leap, and they are scared and they are nervous. That like the things I hear on Connect are, are they scare me because I'm like, well, girl, like you can do this because people are petrified of financial dismay or whatever before they ever even take the first baby step to even learn more about what they're interested in or what this idea is. What would you tell someone today? that has a burning idea, but they're really scared to take their first step. What is your advice to that person? So my advice is really to do the least amount for the maximum answer, Yeah. right? And so break, it down. When, break everything down into the smallest piece of work you can do uh -huh. to get the maximum answer. And, and because then you're not taking this leap, mm -hmm. right? I see people all the time going off and building technology for a year before right. they ever go talk to a prospect. Um, I see that a lot in technology. Yeah. And it's like, we, we printed refrigerator magnets and set up a Google phone number and <laughs> took a phone call. Like that was the smallest step to learn and then we evaluated that answer, yeah. the, the things that we learned from taking those phone calls to say, is this the right direction the business should go or should we do something else? And so we really built that experimental mindset. And I think it's super important for everyone to build an experimental mindset. Just go do the smallest thing, learn from it, decide whether it's gonna help you. If it's not taking you in the right direction, do, do something else. And then you're putting the least amount of energy into the maximum amount of um, return. Mm -hmm. And we literally run our entire business that way. Everything we do is an experiment. Um, we always look at the least amount of work we have to do for the maximum return. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of things that we don't do. Right. Because there's just not ready for us to experiment in that area. Um, or it's just not important. Or, or you know, right now we're working to get like, if the job can be done by a mid-level person, that's not going to get automated today because other things are more important, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, put the things to the side that don't really matter and just try to get answers and learn. 
So, I mean, at the crux of that action, right? Absolutely. Like, you've got to just take a little step and keep kind of chipping away. We call this validation. Absolutely. It's constant learning and constantly validating, which is to say, at some point, you're like, mm, this is not working. Change something. Well, you should be asking yourself that, like, every all day. The, every day. Yeah, all um, one, one thing I do with myself as I drive myself home is I say, what did I learn today and what should I do differently? Mm. And I do that every single day because I might come in the next day and change 10 things. Yeah. Because I said, wow, that really didn't work. Yeah. You know, and so really getting into those fast cycles of learning help actually get you over the fear of, um, oh, this big thing. Because it, all of a sudden, it's not a big thing. It's a thousand small things. Wow. So. Brilliant. OK, last question. OK. Same question I ask everyone ever, always, at Basecamp. Keep climbing is our slogan, our motto, our philosophy, right? Like, when you talk about what we serve, we talk about keep climbing, right? You have to start somewhere, and then mm -hmm. you got to keep going. Absolutely. I want to know, every time we have an amazing guest, I ask the same question. Because I want to understand what keeps you going. What is the reason you keep climbing? It could be anything. Mm. It can be someone, it can be something, it can just be who you are. But what keeps you going? Especially working on apostrophe and still focused on your health and stuff. You know? Yeah, um, what keeps me going? Oh my god. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that when I got out of college, was the year that the most women graduated in technology mm. in the last 40 years. Wow. The year I, I graduated. Cool. And then the study decline happened. And I'm right. like, right. I don't want to see that happen. And so for me, what motivates me to keep climbing and to, to be a women's CTO at a fast-growing company is because I want more examples of women who have made it and who can do it yeah. and um, that didn't quit. And so for me, that, that's what keeps me going. I love it. Beautiful. Listen, thank you so very much. Thank you for being at Basecamp Denver. This was a pleasure to have you. You were a pleasure to Thank you for inviting with. me. Uh, we needed to catch up, so we may as we well did. have done it with some exactly. friends. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for joining us for another Basecamp. We'll see you next month. Same place, same time. Every third Tuesday, Basecamp Denver. Um, thanks, y'all. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Women Who Startup Radio. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors. To learn more about Women Who Startup, please visit us at womenwhostartup.com. You can follow us on all social media at Women Who Startup. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Take care of yourself, my friends. And as always, keep climbing. <laughs>